Um, many of you know that I like to scuba dive, and um, I don't go real often. One of the rules, though, related to scuba diving is that you are never to dive alone. The most important rule I've told you before is that you never hold your breath. If you're underwater, do not hold your breath because it can kind of cause your lungs to rupture. You don't want to hold your breath underwater. But a second rule, I think it's the second most significant rule with scuba diving is don't go alone. If you are 40 feet underwater or 80 feet underwater and something happens to you and you're alone, that's it. There's no hope for you. You should dive with other people for safety reasons. In addition, I found that scuba diving is one of those things that it's kind of nice to do with other people anyway. You know, we go through life and there are just certain things you want to share with other people, experiences you... You don't want to just have that experience alone, and so it's nice to dive with other people, and then you can share the stories and the things that happened. Now, life, I think, is meant to be shared. God created Adam and Eve, and the intention was that we'd be involved in relationships with one another, and part of the reason for that is so that we can enjoy life. But the safety issue is a huge issue as well, and this can apply to a lot of areas in life. When I was a student at Bible college, the administration hammered into us this idea that if you're going to be out late at night, never go out alone. Our school, located in downtown Chicago, was about a block away from the beginning of a neighborhood that was called Cabrini Green. And at the time that we were there, Cabrini Green was regarded as the most dangerous neighborhood in Chicago. It was just across the street. The start of it was just across the street from when the school, where the school was. And so all of us knew that during the day, uh, Chicago is a safe city, and it's even a friendly city, and, and you can walk around during the day or the early evening, but you're not ever supposed to be out late at night by yourself. <clears throat> and I saw in the years that I lived in downtown Chicago many examples why this is an important rule to follow. For example, one morning I came out early while it was still dark. I came out the front doors of the school and I was gonna be playing uh, tennis with someone, a friend of mine, and he hadn't yet arrived and so I was just standing there by the doors. Again, it was still dark out and I saw these three guys that started <clears throat> walking my direction. They were, they were kind of in the middle of the road a little bit more toward my side. They were walking together rather, rather closely. In fact, it looked like uh, two of the guys actually, you know, had their elbows connected. And as they walked along, they eventually got directly in front of where I was. And I noticed that the guy in the middle had a, a cloth over his eye and I could see blood was streaming down. The guy had clearly been attacked. As I was looking at that and trying to figure out what on earth happened, what went wrong, a police car happened to come from behind, and the middle guy saw the car first. He broke free of the other two guys, began waving his arms and shouting, help, help. At that, the police car screeched to a halt. One of the officers dove out of the car and chased one of the guys who had now run away. The other officer stayed there to talk with the guy that had been injured. 
And I stood there watching this, like, this is like, this is like TV. I mean, these things really happen, and it just reinforced this idea. It is really, really important that you have somebody with you, that you, that you don't try to do certain things alone. Today, we're going to begin this new series titled Impact, and the main point I want to make today is this, that together we can have a greater impact than we can alone. Together, we can have a greater impact than we can alone. And when we're together, there's a greater impact to our lives. There's more that can be done when we're with other people than when we are by ourselves. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 4.9, and he was one of the wisest guys who ever lived, said, two are better than one because they get a good reward for their efforts. Better to have two than one because of the return or the reward that they get for their efforts. Now, I think Solomon was, was basically saying this, that when it comes to life, one plus one doesn't equal two anymore. It's, there's this thing called synergy that takes place. They get a better return than two individuals might get if they were alone. You get a better return when you're with other people. Two are better than one because they get a, a good reward for their effort, a greater return, as some versions put it, for their effort. It's this thing called synergy. Dictionary.com defines synergy in this way. <clears throat> it's the interaction of elements that when combined produce a total effect that is greater than the sum of the individual elements or contributions, etc. <clears throat> so this interaction of these elements produce something that's greater than just the sum of the parts. Biblical math is that one plus one doesn't equal two. When it comes to relationships, that it is something more, that synergy takes place. And yet, I think in our culture, we struggle with this. Because most of us, I think, have the perspective that our spiritual journey is our journey. And we feel like we can do it on our own. Like maybe we don't need other people so much. I know that many times that's what I think. It's easier sometimes just to go alone and, and think, well, I can do fine without other people. I, I can just, I like being by myself. And is it possible that I'm missing out on some reward, some blessings, some benefit because I'm not better connected with other people? Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 to 27. I'd like to read these verses. And we're emphasizing again this idea of being properly connected with one another. Because I think we can be involved with church or a church, but not really be connected, right? We can just attend something but not be really connected and then we don't really benefit as we could. Beginning in verse 18, Paul wrote, but now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same, where would the body be? Now let me just stop for a moment, but Paul's using an analogy that he uses many times in the New Testament and that is that that together we form the body of Christ. It's like all of us together are the body of Christ and that each of us, therefore, is individually a part. We're all parts of the body. And different parts, of course, have different functions. 
So Paul wrote, now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? What if the whole thing were just a nose? It was the rest. Now there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Indeed, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. <clears throat> I love the analogy. It's a great analogy. You know, sometimes we talk about in our membership class for the church, we talk about the fact that the concept of membership is biblical even if the idea of going through a membership class isn't necessarily found in the pages of the Bible. It's God's intention that we connect to one another in a vital way, just like the parts of the body need to be connected. Now, this particular example that Paul used here when he talked about the church being like part of the body was probably not an original idea with him. Around the time that Paul walked the earth, there was a historian by the name of Livy, and this Livy, his actual name was Titus Livius Patavinus. He wrote a monumental history of Rome, covering hundreds of years of Roman history. And in his writings, which appeared around the time of the Apostle Paul, about the time that maybe Paul was born or when he was maybe a teenager, the, the writings of this historian were publicized published for everybody to see, and there's a story that he included in there in the Roman history about this particular consul. It's a guy whose name was Agrippa Lanatus. And this consul of Rome was sent to try to make peace between the ruling class and the underclass. They were called the plebes. And about 500 years before Jesus was born, there was this issue that took place between the ruling class and this group called the plebes. And what was happening was that the plebes, or this underclass, decided that they wanted to secede from Rome. They decided that they wanted to separate from Rome. We don't need you. We don't need a ruling class. We're going to form our own country. And so this consul was sent to try to fix that problem. And Livy writes... In the first century A.D., he writes the story of how this consul went to the people and shared a fable, a story. And the story went like this. Then one day, the parts of the body all got mad at the stomach. And they decided that they didn't need the stomach. The stomach just receives food, you know. It doesn't do anything. It just, just benefits from the rest of the body, but the body doesn't need the stomach, and so they decided not to feed the stomach. You know, the hands wouldn't cooperate, and we're not going to feed the stomach, and we're not going to give you water. And in short order, though, something began to happen. The whole body became weak. 
And suddenly, the other parts of the body recognized that they needed the stomach. Now, this consul's point was this, that all the parts are needed. And you might not think you need the ruling class, but in this illustration, the ruling class was the stomach. And you might not think you need the stomach, but all of us are needed. We need you, you need us. Paul was a Roman citizen. He would have been familiar with these writings, and I would suggest his readers were familiar with them as well. And then Paul begins to talk about the church being a body. He says, this is how God has set up the church. It's one body. It was a story that they had probably just recently heard, although there were some differences in the way Paul told the story. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18, Paul wrote, but now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. Now, when I think about that, I'm encouraged because I realize that God is the one who places each one of us within the body of Christ the way he wants. It suggests to me that God has a plan for each of our lives, every one of us. There are things that he's gifted you in, things that you can do to serve and build up the rest of the body of Christ, and this is by God's design. Our job, of course, is to figure out what is that, which I want to talk about that next week. How do, you, how do I find out what that gift is, what that ability is? But the point he was making at this point in talking about the body is that God is the one that put this thing together. God is building a body. And it's got hands and feet, and it's got other parts, and every one of you fit in that body somewhere. And then Paul begins to identify two potential problems, two what I would call errors that we need to avoid, as well as his, his readers, two errors. The first one is this, we think, I don't need others. And second, others don't need me what we think. Now, let me talk about each of those. The first one, I don't need other people. This is someone who thinks I can do fine spiritually without other people. I can make it on my own. I can grow on my own spiritually. I really do not need other Christians to, to invest themselves in my life. I'm doing fine completely on my own. And Paul says, no, you need the other parts of the body. In verse 21, he said, so the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. One part can't say to another, I don't need you. Now, in this case, he chose two parts of the body that are particularly important or prominent. The temptation might be that if you're you have a certain role within the church, within the body of Christ that gets more honor, that you might be more tempted to look down at others and say, well, I don't really need what you have to offer. So he talks about the eye, for example. I've wondered before when it comes to the five senses that we have, I've wondered the question, which one of them do I value the most? You know, they say that people have at least five senses, and they're all related to particular parts of the body. And so we have the sense of sight, which relates to our eyes. We've got the sense of smell that relates to our nose. We've got the sense of hearing, which relates to our ears. We have the sense of taste, which relates to the mouth or the tongue. 
And then we have the sense of touch, which relates to the hands, feeling, the ability to feel. These are the five senses. Which one would I have the most difficulty doing without? I'll tell you the one I would struggle the most with if I didn't have it, it's sight. I, I wouldn't want to lose my sense of taste, but I could live without tasting food. Might make it go down easier, in fact. I don't want to lose my hearing, but I could get by, you know. If I lost my sense of touch, not my hands necessarily, but the sense of touch, I, that, that could be a problem. And there are different people that have a problem. They can't feel anything, and then they end up burning themselves or something because they didn't see what they did to their hand or whatever. That could be pretty serious, but just by the sense itself, I could do without necessarily feeling that sense. I mean, I don't want to lose it, but the one to me that would be the most significant is my sight. These eyes open up a whole world. As long as I could see, I could at least read. I could do a variety of things. If I could see, I could get around. But if I didn't have my sight, and Paul goes after that particular part of the body in verse 21, the eye cannot say, I don't need you. Or the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. We all need one another. I need whatever gifts, abilities, talents, and strengths that you have. You need what I have. I need what you have. I need you. And again, I think sometimes as Christians, we just don't see the need. We think it's something that's just okay to have or nice to have. No, you're part of the body. And if you're a nose, you only do what noses do, and you need the rest of the parts of the body. We all have to recognize the need for one another. Now, the other problem that Paul identified was that we think others don't need me. And perhaps this is where most of us are, because I think we just think, well, I don't have anything to offer. Or I don't know what I can do. You know, what is it that I can... I, I, if I were not here, what difference would it make? Those are the kind of things I think we tend to think. And yet Paul says others need us desperately. In fact, God designed the body to give special honor to some parts. Isn't that what he said beginning in verse 22? But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body we think to be less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a better presentation, but our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. You think about that for a little bit and you realize it's a great analogy because if you think of the body, you know, you start with the head, for example. The head doesn't need a lot of work. Um, in my case, I trim my beard uh, and I trim my beard and <laughs> I don't have to do much with it. You know, I cut the hair. That's about it. And fewer and fewer all the time do I cut. Uh, some of us put makeup on our face to make it look better, but the head is, of course, the most prominent part. It's what most people notice first. It's the head. And so, again, <clears throat> the head might be tempted to think, I don't need the rest of the parts of the body. Yes, you do. 
But Paul is making the point, these other points, parts of the body, they'll get special treatment. For example, my feet. Now, we don't know what parts that Paul was thinking of when he talked about these things. But if I think about my feet, I personally think feet are on, on the ugly side. I just tend to think they're a little bit ugly. But um, we, we take those feet... And in our culture, we don't walk around barefoot. So what do we do in order to protect the feet from getting hurt? Well, the first thing you do is you put on a sock. And um, these days, you could buy some nice socks. I mean, you got these high-tech socks anymore. They feel really good, like they squeeze in the right places. So I'm wearing some of those this morning. Got nice socks. Got shoes. You put on the shoes. To, why? Protect the feet. Yeah, but no one looks at the feet. It doesn't matter. And in my case, I've got these, these insoles for cushioning. They also give me about a quarter inch of height. I'm shorter than I look. You think of all the attention we do to some feet. There's some feet that maybe people don't even notice. And this is the point that Paul is making, that some of the parts we honor in different ways. Some parts we're to treat with modesty. People are not supposed to see those parts, or very few people are supposed to see those parts, and so you treat them with special uh, modesty. You cover up those parts, and, and so if you think of the different parts of the body, you realize that they're treated differently, and they all have an honor of their own. And Paul's trying to help us understand that regardless of the part that you play, it's a valuable part, and, and there's something wonderful. Maybe you think in your mind, I'm a toenail in the body of Christ. Well, have you ever lost a toenail? Toenails are pretty important. So are fingernails. I've lost those before, you know. You, you bang it and then eventually the thing falls off and wow, you don't realize how much, I mean, these, fingernails were a great idea. I'm just saying, God had a great idea because if I didn't have fingernails, I'd be losing these fingers all the time. The fingernails give me, they protect. You think I'm just a, a toenail. I don't fit. No, Paul was saying every part matters. Each one gets special honor. Different, different ways in which God has put this thing together so that you need other people, but other people need you. There's no part of my body I want to get rid of, frankly. I'll just keep it all. Well, we're the body of Christ. But I think we fall into the two errors that Paul identified. I don't need others or others don't need me. We should need one another to such a degree that Paul said that if one part hurts, the whole thing hurts. That's what he said in verse 26. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's how we're supposed to be connected to one another so that it would make a difference. And you know that's true, of course. If you hurt your foot, any of you ever been walking uh, at night, get out of bed at night, and you, you ran your big toe and the next one right in between the edge of the bed post there so that it cut it? I've done that. I did that once, twice in one week. So I, I felt like it was going to rip off the whole toe. 
It's like I just, I just walked and I went like this and it like sliced. It was horrible. But it's just the foot. My hand was doing fine. You know, it was okay. Head was doing fine. No, everybody, everybody stopped. You know, it hurts. That's the way it's supposed to be. My point is to get connected. And the reason, again, my takeaway is that together we can have a greater impact than we can alone. And the flip side of this, of course, is if we're alone, we're not, we're not going to make it very well. If you, can, if you take the analogy one step further, think of a part of the body that gets disconnected. Say, I had a hand up here. Cut off a hand. I know it's a gross thought. But how long would that hand make it if it weren't connected with the arm and the rest of it? See, that's Paul's point, that we, we need to be connected because then we, we together can do what the body wants to do we can accomplish much more together. So what I'm encouraging us to do is to pursue community, to pursue being part of a body, to view that our responsibility is more than just attending meetings or things like that. No, it's getting connected with one another, learning what it means to share our lives with one another so if one part hurts, the other parts hurt where we begin to identify the unique contribution that we can make in the body of Christ. Again, I want to talk about that next week, but today I just want to focus on get connected because together we can do so much more. Now, to help us do this in a very practical application is in your ATR today, that's our little bulletin, we have a sheet there that has connect this fall and Part of it is just filling out information about yourself. We try to get people into groups that are very similar because you'll go, be going through the same types of things together. If you're young couples with young children, for example, we'd want you in groups with other parents with young children. You're facing the same types of things. But then we list a number of the different groups that you could get involved in. I just encourage you to get connected, whether it's the college and young singles, married couples, uh, earlier, Adam announced that we have a group link coming up here shortly for, the, for these groups. Uh, a men's group is starting, and there are a couple different options. Women's groups are starting. Starting point itself would be a good step for some of you. It's like your first exposure to community. And then we have what we call care groups, Financial Peace University to help you with finances, divorce care, grief share, uh, a group called Single and Parenting and other support groups. We have other things in mind that we want to be doing in the future. But I encourage you to take a step. Fill that out and, and just drop it off at the info kiosk there. And I encourage you to pursue getting connected. Try the group link. You may or may not find a group you like, but you could at least you'll meet a few people in the process. But get connected. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you haven't left us in this world as orphans that we are indeed your body. And I acknowledge, oh Lord, I need everyone here. I, I need other people. I can't do it on my own. And Lord, you've designed the body so that it would function well as one body. We want to become more and more that in this world.
We want to be a body that has the greatest possible impact because we're united together, working together, strengthening the weaker parts, strengthening the stronger parts, working as one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.